Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 187. I'm your host, Derek Moore. And this week, we're going to be asking, does anybody know anything? Or maybe nobody knows nothing? Remember when Kramer talked about the Fed? The Fed knows nothing. He pounded the desk again and again in an interview. But it's interesting. As this week's market has gone, we've uh, touched the lows again of the prior low back a few months ago. And look, I mean, a lot of the stuff that you're reading right now is pretty negative, And there's some positive stuff as well. And I thought it would be interesting just to take a look back and see. Well, I'll, I'll tell you where I'm going in a second. One of the things that came out this week is a lot of uh, people piled into stock protection. So it was an article in Bloomberg that said options traders spooked by turmoil, turmoil across Wall Street snapped up protection against further losses at the fastest pace on record. More than 33 million bearish contracts changed hands Friday across the board, the busiest session since data began in 1992. And they mentioned, you know, the SPY also saw volume and puts spike to an all-time high after the week, uh, you know, obviously the Federal Reserve raised interest rates and gave a, a different forecast. Somebody's quoted said, fear clearly arrived as today definitely felt different. And... They have a graph here that you can't see, but I can. It's rush to hedge. And it's put volume spikes to a record amid equity losses. Now, when you look at charts like this, and one of the things you have to understand is that volume and options continues to go higher. And so it's a little tough to, to kind of take a look at a chart like this and go back to, let's say, the year 2000 or 2001 which was pretty bearish because options, um, I mean, people are using options more and more. Institutions, advisors are using options more and more. But definitely this is an interesting indicator of how much fear is out there. And look, I mean, longtime listeners know I don't predict markets. Uh, I'm a big believer in, in staying invested, buying and hedging. And most people and most professionals aren't smart enough to, to time markets and time in the market is more important than timing the market. Uh, but certainly you could look at this and say, okay, does that mean we're at a bottom? I don't know. I don't know. But sometimes that type of bearish move or news could be bullish. But let me read you some other things that I think are, are kind of interesting, just to give you an idea of some of the, um, you know, some of the predictions that are out there and, you know, he, here's kind of here. I'll read this one for you. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but it's the market remains high today. But I see global growth. I'm reading from this. So I'm quoting. I see global growth falling and trade looking bad. We might slump into a recession with deflation. Markets move quickly when there is a credit distress because assets disappear. Uh, we saw that with Lehman. He's referring to the Lehman Brothers crisis. Uh, in the past couple of years, uh, da, 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 let me move on. I have long thought emerging mar market debtors are the weak link because they were borrowing in someone else's currency. I believe the stock market has to go below its March 2009 levels. Whoa. 
March 2009 levels were 666 in the S&P 500. So clearly that person is pretty bearish. But what I just read you was not from this week. It was not from last week. It's not from today. That was from June 18, 2016. And the headline in Barron's in this article was, this could push stocks below the 2009 level. Okay? Imagine reading that and making an investment decision based upon that in June of 2016. We know the markets until, you know, the markets made an all-time high July 3rd or July, January 3rd of this year, 2022. I'll continue though. Let me show you some more predictions. This headline is, well, let me just read you this. Our stock, our global stock, stock market set for a capitulation after sliding to uh, new lows and wiping out a stuttering recent recovery. One key factor in preventing the short, panicky selling of shares that cleans the stables out and heralds an equities rebound. Uh, we need to see an index falling 7 or 8% intraday in high volumes and then ending up nearly flat on the day as buyers come back in. What we're seeing instead is Chinese water torture and no massive clean-out. So for capitulation to happen, markets will have to have uh, be hit by a big negative news event and for the rebound to be sustainable. That is not from this week. It's not from today. That is from the very end of February 2009. You may remember from history now that the markets bottomed in early March. So as, as you're seeing these, these headlines that come out, I think it's really good to just put things into perspective. Let me read you another one here. Uh, this is, let's see. Okay, the whole idea is to get out of the U.S. dollar. It is on the verge of a collapse. The people who don't get out of the U.S. dollar are going to be completely broke, and this is obvious. Look at what blank did. I'm leaving out the name because it will give away the date. Uh, blank is going to run up the printing presses as fast as they can. This is pure inflation, Latin American style. This is hyperinflation. This is Zimbabwe. This is I the identical monetary uh, policy of the Weimar Republic, which was in Germany. I am just as convinced that people who have their money in U.S. dollars are going to be as broke as people who have their money with Madoff. Bernie Madoff had the, uh, the Ponzi scheme, and unfortunately, a lot of investors lost money there. Uh, that was a prediction, by the way, for 2009-2010 hyperinflation, and the dollar crashing. Uh, that was referenced in a piece. I don't know when those statements were made, but it was referenced in a piece by somebody else, January 27, 2009. Anyone who's been paying attention knows that one of the challenges right now for equity markets, for multinational companies, is the dollar strength. We know that when the dollar goes really high, it typically puts pressure on companies who derive sales and earnings from overseas. And they're, you know, I, I did a, a little bit more. I'll link to the episode where I talked about the dollar. But essentially, you know, and a lot of companies come out in their earnings reports and they reference, I think Netflix back in Q2 uh, took about a $300 million haircut because of the strong dollar against their overseas 
revenues. And this article that was written, I'm not going to give out any names because that's, um, you know, that's that's not really relevant. And uh, I'm reading these without context. And so I don't want to, you know, just name somebody and without the proper context. But the same article, the person who wrote it said, you know, where to in 2009? And the question as to where the market is headed comes up all the time. The truth is no one really knows. However, we see no real value here. So this was written in January uh, of 2009. Fundamentally, stocks are not cheap. Earnings are sinking. Unemployment is rising. And this was the biggest debt bubble in history. Logic dictates the biggest bubble should be followed by the biggest crash. To pick a range for a bottom, something like 450 to 600 on the S&P 500 index, would seem to be about right. If so, that is quite a drop from here. I don't remember what the level of the market was in January of uh, 09, but it was higher. And one would certainly want to be hedged if that happens. Well, that turned out to be pretty true. Now, I didn't quite get down to 450 to 600, but did get down to 666. So the thing I want to point out is that if you go back, and, and the way that I do this is, and I think you have to be on a, a desktop computer. I, I don't think you can use the mobile version of, of uh, Chrome. Uh, maybe you can use it in other browsers. But when you go to Google and you just open up you know, google.com and you can do the search area, and then on the right-hand side, there's tools. And, and if you do tools and then click below that, uh, that first row, you can define a custom range. So you can say, hey, show me all the stuff that's the past hour, past 24 hours, and then a custom range. And I really like to do this. I mean, I search for terms like stock market crash or market predictions and things like that. And then you can sort of see what people were saying in real time. I, on another episode, I, I shared, uh, I pulled up a New York Times article from, I think it was March of 1982. And that was when you could have purchased a 30-year treasury for something like, you know, 16, 17% interest rate. Imagine having that. That is, that would be awesome. And in that article, people said, I don't know about buying it here. Rates could go higher. And other people said, hey, look, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Like you should be buying these hand over fist because you will never see rates this high again. Well, they haven't been, and that was correct. But certainly headlines and news stories and people's opinions do matter for investors, and they matter because they affect the psyche of investors. In probably mid-2009, even after the market had bottomed, there were record amounts of cash in money market funds, earning nothing. You might remember the, the Federal Reserve essentially made you know, interest rates zero, and they stayed really low for a long time. But there was no money in treasuries. There's no money in bank accounts. There's no money in money market funds. But investors' preference was to stay in cash. And I can tell you, even as late as 2014, 2013, the scars of 2008, 2009, people were still in cash. And a lot of them referred to different news stories and articles that were calling for market crashes. The thing is, if you make enough predictions and you make them often enough, at some point you're going to be right. And by the way, it's not to say that there haven't been people that are correct. Right now, though, what do we see? 
Well, obviously, as the, a lot of people thought the market was going to bottom, I tended to think we may have put in the bottom there. Uh, turns out we just retested the bottom. What's going to happen in the future? Well, I think it's important to, to think about the sentiment here and what's, what's happening. Well, we know the Federal Reserve has shifted the expectations for higher rates sooner and the implied Fed funds rate from the, uh, the Fed funds futures is now, you know, could be 4.5, 4.6, some, you know, it's a 4.9. The Fed released their dot plots. The dot plots, they look at all the Federal Reserve, the members of the Federal Reserve uh, Open Market Committee, and they say, where do you think interest rates are going to be here, here, and here? Where do you think growth is in the U.S. economy? And what do you think unemployment's going to be? And we call them the dot plots because they actually, you'll see on a chart, there are dots and they represent the, the views of each one of the members. And all of those dot plots are higher for 2023 and they're higher for year end 2022 and they're lower on the things that you don't want. When I say higher, higher for interest rate expectations. They are lower though for growth. They are higher for unemployment. And that may sound troubling. And it may be. We'll see what happens. And that's why big believers in staying invested with being hedged. But the thing is, if you went back, and I can't find the article now that I wrote, but I, I wrote an article probably eight years ago. And what I talked about there is I took the dot plots. Maybe it wasn't eight. Maybe it was like five or six years ago. I don't remember. But I took the current dot plot and I looked at their one-year-out forecast. And then I went back six years ago, five years ago, four years ago, and I saw what their predictions were. And guess what? They haven't been right. Those dot plots are always off. And even uh, James Bullard, who's a member of the committee, there is one meeting where I don't think he submitted his dots. And he said, look, I don't think we're any good at this. I'm paraphrasing. Um, I don't know why we make these long-term economic projections projections when we haven't been right. And he actually withheld his dot that, that meeting. So the things that matter to me are, what are your earnings going to be? Because companies, if they're still growing their earnings, that is, that is really a positive thing. And what I can tell you is that there are some investment banks that are bringing down their 2023 earnings estimates. The consensus was 243. I think um, uh, Morgan Stanley, I, I believe I'm right on this, came out 2023 of 220 per share. And we say 243 or 220 a share, that's um, you know earnings per share of the S&P 500 index. So you know we'll, we'll see what happens. And when we think about the market trading at a forward P.E. ratio, which is how many times forward estimated, quote unquote, estimated earnings is the multiple. With the sell-off yesterday, I mean, multiples are closer to 16 than they were to 20, which is what they were at the beginning of the year. It might have been 21, actually, in the beginning of the year. And so those earnings can always change. And then the second part is, what are people willing to pay for future earnings? As I said, right now, the forward P-E ratio is a little bit over 16. And that assumes a certain amount of sales. It assumes a, a net profit margin. And when you come down to it, it assumes 
and estimated, all these are estimations, uh, what the earnings per share are going to be. So far this year, earnings have grown year over year. And sure, if you take out energy, then earnings are pretty much flat or a little bit down. But hey, that's one of the reasons why you invest in something like the S&P 500 index. It is an index and you get to share in all of the earnings of all of the companies that are in there. This year, energy is doing the heavy lifting. Past years, energy has been really an unwanted part of the, uh, the spectrum. Do you remember when that one futures month, uh, West Texas intermediate oil futures went negative? It means essentially you got paid to take oil and it was a storage problem. I think I did a podcast on that. And if I can find it, I'll link to it. But the point is that in the end, it's what are earnings going to be and what are the people willing to pay for them? And this year, we have had earnings growth. Earnings are up year over year. I don't know what's going to happen in Q3 or Q4. Uh, we'll see when we see. But this has been a multiple compression. What that means is what people were willing to pay for earnings or estimated earnings has gone down. When you look at the multiple versus the price, I uh, pulled up JP Morgan's Guide to the Market, and they have earnings growth year to date of 5.4%. So companies are growing their earnings. Great. And that's through two quarters, Q1 and Q2. The multiple growth is minus 26.6%. And of course, the S&P is down over 20%. So people are willing to pay 26.6% less than they were at the end of last year. And last year was a decline as well. Earnings were up, but the multiple last year was down 7%. And so as you start to think about the moving pieces, we have the dollar. That can impact multinational companies. You have inflation. How much do inputs cost companies? How, what's their cost of goods? But in the end, it all comes down to earnings. And so you're going to see a lot of predictions that are coming out now about earnings. I don't know which ones will come true. I can tell you that in 2020, the estimates were slashed, slashed for 2020 and 2021. And as it turns out, those wound up being way, way overdone to the downside as earnings came in okay. So as you're doing this, I'd urge you to take a historical perspective. And if you have some time, go ahead and do some searches on Google and narrow the range. You'd be surprised how many people making the same predictions today have made the same predictions year after year after year. And sure, they may get some calls right, and a lot of people do get calls right. But I guess if you say it often enough, you can be right. And in the end, all that matters for many investors is what is it that you need from markets? What is it that you need to get out of the market? What is the risk that you're willing to take? And the understanding is sometimes when things, when nobody wants them is when you should want them. I remember back in 2009 and talking to people and everyone was really, really bearish. Again, even after the market had bottomed. And of course, you only know what the bottom is after it happens. You don't know it in the current point, 
whether or not there's going to be a bottom or not. Just like you don't know whether it's going to be a top or not. People try and call those time and time again, miss out on, on returns because it's time in the market, not timing the market. There is a positive, by the way, of rates going higher. And that's as many of you know that for years, for well over a decade, you have earned nothing at the bank. And there have been little other opportunities besides the stock market. It's the TINA. There is no other alternative to getting any type of yield. Well, that changed. And that's changed, especially even in the last month. One-year treasuries are up over 4%. And that's the first time that's happened, I think, since 2007. The two-year being up over 4% is the first time it's happened, I believe, since 2004. So while higher interest rates are definitely hurting the stock market, and that's understandable because a lot of people do valuation and they kind of take a look and they say, you know, look, if interest rates are higher, the value of those future earnings isn't quite as much. And while I wouldn't advocate necessarily a 60-40 portfolio, I'm more of a fan of buying the market but having hedges as an alternative. Those 60-40s, to be honest with you, will look a lot better today than they did at the beginning of the year when rates were still really low. And we know global bonds, the AGG, U.S. Aggregate Bond Index, which is in a lot of 60-40 portfolios, made another new low. On a price basis alone, which isn't fair for a bond fund, which although rates have been low, does pay dividends and does collect interest payments on those bonds in the portfolio. On a price level, it's in a bear market above 20% down. On a total return basis, including dividends, it's not quite there yet, but it's been a rough year. The good news for us too is that with some of our hedged equity strategies, we're able to use treasuries now, earning pretty decent rate of return compared to what we've seen in the past decade. And that helps to, to fund the buying of uh, risk-defined options and call options that don't necessarily own the S&P, but control a notional amount of the S&P and the idea of trying to get a good percentage of the upside, but at the same time, putting a floor under portfolios. This has been a good development for strategies like that. And so if you want information on that, how we do that, or any changes we've been doing, or how uh, the bond yields going up, especially on treasuries, which in theory, the U.S. government could default at some point, but they, we do control our own currency. And so it'd be pretty tough to do unless politicians made an error. Uh, send me an email, derek.more at zegafinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Z is in zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple, financials up to you to spell correctly dot com. And send me emails too if you have an idea for an episode. The reason why I decided to go a little off topic or different this week is just I know that in weeks like this, there's a lot of fear. And you're hearing things from a lot of places. And people who don't necessarily follow the markets all of a sudden are coming up with theories and opinions and predictions and all those things. So try as best you can this week to take a perspective, a long-term perspective on this. Again, I'm a fan of buying and hedging, but if you have a, want, a little, want to have a little fun, and maybe this is only fun to me, go ahead and pull up Google. Limit your search to certain dates and put in terms like stock market crash. 
and see how many times people were wrong and how many times people are saying the sky is going to fall. I don't know whether the market's going to go up or down next week or in six months. But all we can control is the amount uh, that's at risk. And what you can control is, is having time in the market. With that, we'll wrap it up. And we'll come back next week with another episode. See you, everyone.